Today's passage comes from Galatians 1, 11 to 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have come this morning to hear your word to us. So, Lord, where we are frantic, uh, unsure, perhaps elsewhere mentally this morning, Lord, would you allow us, by your Spirit, to hear what you want to speak to us? Would you allow us to be present? Lord, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to communicate to us, uh, your creation? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> I got like a thank you and a good morning. Good morning, Christ City. It's good to be here. My name is Jake. I'm part of the team. Uh, yeah, it's good to be with you guys on this weekend. I want to begin by asking a, a question. Uh, would you agree with me? Would you agree with me uh, that where something comes from affects how we receive it? Where something comes from affects how we receive it. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, a letter uh, from your long-distance lover is, is quickly opened, right? Uh, read, analyzed, maybe even smelt because they put perfume on it or cologne on it. People still do that. I never did that. Uh, you know, maybe smelt. You know, it, it, it's treasured, right? But a letter that comes from your, your cell phone provider uh, is ignored until like the last minute until you have to deal with it, right? Uh, the man at the door from the lottery is warmly greeted, but the man at the door from the repo company uh, is not. Finding out that uh, your friends are, are pregnant from them is, is cool, but finding out from your wife is an entirely different you know, reaction, entirely different story. I think we can agree in general, in principle, that where something comes from uh, impacts how we receive it how we receive it and respond. And this is as true today as it was uh, in the ancient world. You know, one disciple, skeptical of Jesus, he asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
We're continuing in our series in Galatians this morning. And in the very first verse of this letter, Paul writes uh, this. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul was eager to ensure that the Galatians knew where his mission had come from. Paul was an apostle, one who is sent by God. Therefore, Paul was to be received uh, not on the same level as the false teachers, but as authoritative. Uh, his words were to be received not as suggestive, uh, but as you know, carrying some weight behind them. Significant weight, in fact. You know, it's Paul the Apostle, right? And the whole class snaps to attention. This morning, though, we're transitioning from looking at Paul's authority in his mission as an apostle to looking at Paul's authority in his message in so much as Paul will say that his message is not from men. It is not man's gospel. Look at verse 11 with me. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. When Paul planted these churches, when he brought the gospel to them, he wants them to be clear about this. I came to you, I planted you, I started you off, not with man's gospel. And the question we should ask then is, well, what is man's gospel? What is Paul talking about? One really simple way to answer the question of what is man's gospel or what is the good news according to man is anything that aims to please man. Uh, just one verse prior in verse 10 of chapter 1, uh, do you remember what Paul said? For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of, of Christ. And if you missed last week's sermon, Brett gave us this formula to help think through, you know, what are man's gospels? What are gospels according to men? He, he said, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. He said, Jesus plus my earning equals nothing. So in the case of the Galatian church, the Judaizers had come and said, listen, Jesus is good and all, but you need to add to Jesus, uh, Torah observance, Old Testament observance. You know, just add to Jesus some circumcision, right? And then, then you'll be really in. Jesus plus uh, my identity, Brett talked about, right? We allow Jesus to speak into some of who we are, right? Some of how we identify in this world and amongst our peers. But ultimately, it's us who have this ultimate authority over how I am perceived, but, but, but who I am. Jesus plus my identity. Brett said Jesus plus my independence. We allow Jesus to be king over, over parts of our life, but ultimately there are corners where he's not allowed to go. These are all gospels according to humanity. They aim, their, their whole purpose is to please humanity, to comfort humanity, to offer humanity hope, purpose, and direction. And they aim to do all this by putting humanity at the center. And so Paul begins our text this morning by saying very, 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 very clearly, my gospel is not like this. It's different. Look at verse 12. Paul will establish a contrast of sources. Galatians 1 verse 12. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, grab one at the back. It's helpful in this or pull it up on your phone. Galatians 1 verse 12. It says this. For I did not receive it, that's his gospel, from any man, nor was I taught it. What does he say? But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Man's gospel, understandably, we get this, comes from man. 
That's not the case with Paul's good news. Paul says that his good news, he received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And just so we're tracking here, this is the argument thus far. Paul wants the Galatians to know that this is not a man-made gospel. And if it is a man-made gospel, that's bad news because then it's not Jesus' gospel. See, Paul's mission, Paul's message, they're, they're inseparable. Paul is sent by God with a message from God, from a revelation of God. If you look back at, at verse 12 with me, the key word here is, is revelation, this word revelation. And when Paul mentions revelation here, we can think of a couple things. There, there could be a couple things that he's referring to. If you know Paul's story, you know that he was on his way to Damascus to kill some Christians where he had a, a revelation of Jesus, right? He was stopped in his tracks and the risen Jesus appeared to Paul. Right? That could be the revelation that Paul is talking about here in, in verse 12, right? That he had this revelation of the risen Lord. But Paul could also be referring to a, a revelation as he grew in knowledge of who Jesus was. Later in our text, he'll say that God was pleased to reveal his son to me. So it could be this sort of physical revelation that Paul's talking about. It could just be Paul growing in knowledge of who Jesus is and, and what that means for him. But whatever the case, whatever the case, the message remains the same. My mission came from God. My message about Jesus came from God. Now, this is the point we've been making every week so far, and we're going to make it again. How do you read the words of Paul in the pages of Scripture? How do you read those words? Are they suggestions? Are they well-intentioned thoughts? from an ultimately misguided follower of Jesus who just doesn't get what it's like to live in our age. Paul, we've evolved. We've moved beyond. Keep up, Paul. Do you take Paul's words as not demanding a response from us? See, to believe Paul is to believe God. To reject Paul, as an apostle, with the message of the good news from God, to reject Paul is to reject God. See, to show that his message, and therefore our message, is divine, Paul will now establish, again, in contrast, where we do not get our message from. First, while we as followers of Jesus believe that we are part of a history of God's people, a tradition, if you will, hear this, we do not get our gospel from tradition. Later, after Paul relays his conversion story, he tells us what happens next. If we pick it up in the second half of verse 16, reading to verse 21, we see this. I did not immediately consult with anyone, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In verse 20, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Verse 21, and then, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Paul's whole point here in those verses is to make sure the Galatian church knows that he did not get his gospel secondhand from the apostles. Paul says what? I did not consult with anyone. I did not go to Jerusalem. He goes away into Arabia, we believe, for three years. That three years we read here, we believe is three years from the point of his conversion. So he's, he's gone for three years in Arabia. 
And then after three years, Paul goes to Jerusalem to visit with Peter and James. Now, his visit to Jerusalem is not to like get their blessing or to sort of round out his gospel in some way. No, it's the meeting of peers. He's not going as a Padawan to like sit at the feet of his masters. That's not the situation here. It's a, it's a short, two-week collegial visit. That's it. And because he's giving formal testimony, and not just sort of casually reminiscing here, in verse 20, he invokes an oath, right? Did you see that? Verse 20, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then in verse 21, as if it isn't enough, then he says, and then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. In other words, I went way up north. I was nowhere near Jerusalem. Right, again and again and again, Paul wants to make the point he did not receive his gospel from tradition, from the other apostles. Now, again, one of our core values here at Christ City, as Christ City, the church, is that we're grounded in the history of the church. The work I'm doing, uh, the work you're doing, the, the work that we do together as the people of God, this isn't new work. It's not new work, Right? This isn't a revolutionary thing that we're doing here in and of itself. We're continuing the work and building on the foundation that has been laid for us. You and I, whether we know it or not, are deeply indebted to church councils and meetings that have gone before us. You and I, and you know this, we sing and recite ancient creeds on Sunday. We are deeply thankful for and indebted to the history of the church. We, are, in fact, are the beneficiaries of tradition. And yet, and yet, all the way down, our gospel does not come from tradition. It comes from Jesus. Nor, we should add, does our message come from invention. So it's not from tradition, nor does it come from invention. Look at verse 12 with me and see if this sounds familiar to you. For I did not receive it, this is Paul talking, from any man, nor was I taught it. But what does he say? But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Who, think Paul, who thinks Paul sounds like every cult leader that has ever existed? Right? Doesn't he sound just like them? Or rather, don't they sound just like Paul? Right? For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying he didn't invent his message. But how can we trust? That what he's saying is true. Let me suggest this morning that Paul's good news wasn't Paul's good news alone. See, the gospel of, of Joseph Smith, the gospel of L. Ron Hubbard, the gospel of Jim Jones, these were all personal and private gospels. And even though here, Paul says that he received this gospel through a personal revelation of Jesus Christ, elsewhere, Paul makes it very clear that this wasn't simply a, a personal experience he had with Jesus. If you notice, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will explain what the gospel is very simply. And he'll say this twice. He'll say, I got this gospel, or rather this gospel is in accordance with Scripture. Like twice he says it, in accordance with scripture. In, in other words, Paul's saying, read the Old Testament yourself. Look at the law and, and prophets yourself. Do they not pave a road for Jesus? Paul says, look for yourself. And further, we've just seen in our own text that Paul did not get his gospel from the other apostles. Meaning, 
that the other apostles didn't get their gospel from Paul. You see this? And yet they're the exact same gospel. Paul's gospel is not invention because it is in accordance with the scriptures and in agreement with the gospel the other apostles received. See, our message, friends, our message is not ultimately tradition. It's not ultimately comes from invention. We trace our good news back to God himself. And that is the preposterous claim at the heart of Christianity. See, we believe that we trace our our good news back to God revealed to us in his son Jesus. And the author of Hebrews begins his sermon like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Again, this is a uniquely Christian claim. That the creator would would, would dwell among us to personally bring us his good news. Where something comes from, I think, affects how we receive it. We love to cook in my house, and we have a few sort of tools that are favorites of ours. I want more, but my wife won't let me have more. Um, one of those favorites of ours is this cast iron pot that's made from Le Creuset. I'm French, so I can butcher the French language. It's not offensive. Uh, Le Creuset, I think. It's a, French, it's a French cast iron pot. It's really nice. And I picture it being made, it's made in France, and I picture it being made by, you know, French men sort of, you know, like diligently, you know, pounding it out and sort of hmm, pondering over it. And again, that's not offensive because I'm French. And, and, and so I, I can picture it, you know, it came from a place of, of craftsmanship and, and beauty, right? I would never let our Le Creuset Dutch oven sit in the sink, uh, like overnight uncleaned, right? That'd be blasphemy. I would never take steel wool to my Le Creuset, you know, Dutch iron, uh, you know, cast iron pot, right? I'd never do that, right? But we have other pots in our kitchen that I would do that with, right? Like they got stamped out in some factory somewhere, pushed down the line, made of cheap steel. They're basically garbage, right? And we treat them like that because of where they came from. Two different origins, two different ethics lived out. And here's the point I want to make. The way we live the Christian life is a perfect indicator, is a great indicator of where we actually think the gospel came from. So let me just ask really simply this morning, Christ City, where do you think the gospel came from? And I know you'll say God really quickly, but just stop. Just stop. What does your life say about where you think the gospel came from? What does the things you enjoy or or don't enjoy say about what you believe to be the source of this good news? In Matthew 21, Jesus, he has his authority challenged by the chief priests and the elders. And they ask him this question. By what authority are you doing these things, Jesus? Who gave you this authority, Jesus? And Jesus, because he's Jesus, right? He returns their question with a question, he asks them, you know, like, by what authority do you think John baptized? Notice this. To our shame, to our shame, the chief priests and the elders believed in something, and they show this in their response. They believed in something that we functionally long ago abandoned. They believed this. The chief priests and the elders, they realized that if they were to recognize John's baptism as coming from heaven, it would demand a radical response from them. We've lost that. 
We can hold all sorts of beliefs and ideas and thoughts without having them have anything to do with our lives. They're just up here. Right? Hear it from their own mouth. And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe in him? If you and I were to confess this morning that Paul's message came from Jesus, if we were to really believe that Paul's message came from Jesus, what would that look like in our life? Would we live lives of, of, of more repentance? Would we live lives of greater joy, more assurance, right? greater hope, greater faith, greater love? Where something comes from, I think, I think affects how we receive it. But let me add to that. Where something comes from is proven by its results. In an effort to prove that his message came from God and not just other men, Paul says, hey, look at it. Look at my own life. Verse 13, Paul says this. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, then he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul's story, it's, it's, it's simple in, in, in one way. Paul was a, a persecutor of, of Christians. He killed Christians. In fact, verse 13, Paul states that emphatically, right? He says, persecuted and destroy. He was a persecutor of Christians until he met Jesus. See, Paul says, you heard of what? My former life. How I persecuted the church. I was advancing in Judaism. So extremely zealous was I. But then in verse 15, it becomes a, a different person's story. Did you notice that? Someone else takes center stage. Paul says, but when he who had set me apart called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son. One commentator I read this week about Paul's conversion had this to say, and I'm paraphrasing here. Paul's conversion was not so much about Paul making a decision for God as it was about God making a decision for Paul. Like, if you read that in the inverse, like, you're missing this text. Paul's conversion was not about Paul making a decision for God, but about God making a decision for Paul. Another commentator said this, All Paul's raging fanaticism was no match for the good pleasure of God. I've also heard it said, If you were a hundred times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for his mercy. No match. No match. Because make no mistake about us, in some ways, Paul was a hundred times worse than you and I. You see, this word zealous that we find in our text this morning, Paul was, what, zealous, right? So extremely zealous was I. Immediately, the Jewish reader would have been thinking of something. See, Paul's persecution wasn't some sort of random crusade that Paul was on. No, no, Paul saw himself in a particular school, in a particular tradition in the Jewish people. 
Paul saw himself as a zealous defender of the true God, the true faith against the people out there. The, the, the Gentiles, the people who would threaten the true faith. Paul saw himself in the line of people like uh, Phineas. Now in Numbers 25, we read about uh, God's people, and they're going through a terrible time. In fact, they're going through a really bad time, and because of the sin that they brought onto themselves, they're, they're worshiping uh, Moabite gods because Mo- Moabite women have led them astray. Uh, God has sent a plague on them. And in Numbers 25, it sort of reaches this climax where one guy in front of the whole congregation uh, trots his girlfriend into his tent as if to say, screw you, Moses, screw you, God, I'm going to do whatever I want here. And he goes into his tent with his Moabite girlfriend. Uh, again, he's, he's saying, I'm also worshiping her Moabite gods here. And so we pick it up in Numbers 25, verse 7, where we read this. Enter Phineas. Phineas. The son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it. He rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand. Verse 8. And went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them. I'll let you figure out how that works. The man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Paul saw himself in the school, in the tradition, the zealous tradition of Phineas, And there was also Elijah. Elijah the prophet who squared off against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And upon defeating them, what did he do? He killed them all. Paul saw himself in the school of Phineas. He saw himself in the school of Elijah. See, I had like hockey players on my wall growing up. Paul had Phineas with a spear and Elijah with a blade, right? Two different childhoods. Why do I give you all this background? Paul was not some bum who is naive and just sort of walking around like, oh, I'll believe anything. No. Paul had an entire worldview, a zealous worldview. He had friends and enemies and people supporting him in the activity that he was doing. He wasn't some gullible, like, sucker, right? And we must not picture him that way. But even Paul, in all his raging fanaticism, in all his zealous anger, was no match for the good pleasure of God. See, this is the kind of work that encountering Jesus does, is supposed to do. See, Paul had all his passion and zeal totally redirected. And at the same time, he had all of his achievements, all of his trophies, all of his prizes, all of his identity. All these things were shown to be empty. See, Paul almost goes out of his way to show the, the absolute inability of his works to save himself. And you can almost picture him shouting at the false teachers, can't you? Right? You think you know the law? I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. I was top of my class. Come at me, bro. Right? You think you're hardcore? Right? So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But God having made a personal decision for Paul, calls Paul according, not to what Paul deserves, but what? According to his grace. According to his his mercy. And God taught him the way of Jesus. Where something comes from is proven by its results. And I'd suggest to you this morning that only the gospel that comes from God can transform a, a persecutor into a proclaimer. Do you believe that? Because, I mean, the objections to this are, are real. 
So you're thinking to yourself, hold on a second, Jake. I have a a cousin uh, who was angry, who was abusive, and now because of the, you know, the mindfulness meditation that they're doing, uh, they're more calm, that they're pleasant to be around. I'm not so sure about that, Jake. Or or I knew this previously unmotivated 20-something, right, who was kicked out of bed by a a Tony Robbins video, a Jordan Peterson book. I I don't, I don't know about that, Jake. Or, or, or hold on a second. I have a friend who just started making good decisions, right? They're making bad decisions, now they're making sort of Generally good decisions, and their life is going better for them. What do we say to that as a church? To people who experience positive transformation, seemingly positive transformation, uh, apparently outside of the gospel. Do we have a response to that as a church? Or do we just kind of say, whatever works for you? I think the pervasiveness of this question, because we hear this question all the time as a team, And how frequently we hear this as an objection to Christianity, even by Christians, betrays just how much ground we've surrendered to the cultural and worldly measurement of success and flourishing. We've betrayed, we've we've surrendered so much ground on this topic. Friends, let me ask, are, are we successful in flourishing if we are kind to our neighbors? Are we flourishing if we've got a positive can do attitude and a job we love? Are we flourishing if we're making wise decisions? Because if that's our definition of flourishing, what do you say uh, to the brother or sister in Central Africa who is imprisoned because of their faith? They're not flourishing, right? What do you say to the sister in India who has been killed because of her faith? Is, is she not flourishing? See, the problem is, we, I like this language of flourishing, but it's been hijacked by a consumer culture. Now, flourishing means, you know, doing well, having a nice job. Things are going sort of smoothly for us. And that is a profoundly unbiblical definition of flourishing. That is not the metric we measure positive transformation by. So let's just throw that out for a second. The biblical standard for flourishing for being successful, for positive transformation, is being made right with your creator and living into that reality. Period. To be human, according to the Bible, is to be in right relationship with God. Period. See, we aren't just looking for any results. I wonder if some of us this morning are satisfied with just any results. Like we've tasted a little bit of the gospel of Jesus, and I'm happier, right? I'm a better husband, I'm a better wife, I'm a better parent, you know, I'm, a, I'm better at work. And, and, and that's about as much of the gospel as we want, right? It makes me better in these areas of my life. It makes me kind of just, you know, hopeful. That's about as deep as we want to let the gospel go. But the kind of, of transformation Jesus' message demands is the kind of radical, wholehearted transformation that turned a persecutor into a proclaimer. And anything less than that, like where we just take a little bit of the gospel, a little bit of Jesus' message, anything less than a wholehearted, radical transformation is a gospel according to man. Where something comes from is proven in the results. But if you'll let me, I want to add one more thing. Where something comes from is proven and who gets the praise. At the end of our text this morning, it says this. 
Verse 22, read with me. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And they only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. In verse 24, And they glorified God because of me. Rumors of Paul's dramatic turnaround have reached the churches in Judea. They've heard how Paul's life has changed. And they give glory to God. Where something comes from is proven in who gets the praise and who gets the credit. Here's a general rule for life. Ready? If the Christian book you have in your hand has a picture of the author's faith, face on it, put it down. Now, this is totally anecdotal, totally speculative, but about 75% of books with the author's face on it are heretical. I'm just going to put that out there. The other 25% are of people uh, who are either dead or had no control over, you know, what gets put on the cover. Okay? Face on it, put it down, walk away, run. General, general rule for life. So long as the gospels we preach result in the praise of man, it will always be a gospel according to man. Do you know why I think Paul really wasn't a cult leader? Because Paul's gospel wasn't about Paul. Paul wasn't the hero in that story. In fact, it's pretty messy. You know, in, in Acts 14, in Lystra, people grab Paul and they try to worship him. They try to bow down to Paul. What does Paul do? He doesn't say, bring it to me. No. He tears his clothes and says, stop. Don't do that. Don't worship me. That's, that's not what this gospel is about. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes early on, what is, then is Apollos? What is Paul? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. God's message, friends, will always result in giving God glory. Because at the heart of Paul's gospel, who's done all the work? Look at Ephesians 2 with me. Or just even if you want to close your eyes right now and just hear this good news. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here for Thanksgiving, first off, welcome. We're glad you're here. This is the heart of what we believe as the church. This is our core message. If you take this away, we're powerless, we're empty. Paul writes to the church in Ephesians this. He details his life and then says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So hear this, Christ city. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Paul was killing Christians, persecuting them, destroying them, but God. Paul did not get what he deserved. You and I, we do not get what we deserve. In Christ, we get grace. Free, unmerited, joyful, eternal, abundant grace. How do we grab hold of this grace? By coming with the empty hands of faith. 
all of our trust, all of our hope, putting it in Jesus. You can't work for it. You can't add to it. And if you do, it's not God's gospel anymore. It's, it's man's gospel. Friends, this is the divine communication we have before us this morning. I am crazy enough to believe that God is speaking to us now in his word. And if that's true, if that's true, how will we respond? Will we choose to believe that this is God's message for lost humanity? Will we choose to believe that it is able to do a radically transformative work in us and through us that nothing, no program, no system can do? Will we choose to give God glory in all of this, recognizing that it is his divine power working through his divine message that saves us? Paul's message, our message this morning, friends, it comes from God. It's divine. And because it is a divine message, it and it alone has the power to transform us, has the power to save us in the way we actually need to be saved. And because it is a, it is a divine message that has the power to truly transform us, oh friends, only God gets the glory. Would you stand with me as we respond this morning?